You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Erica Grunst, and I've been attending Hope for 15 years and currently serve in Hope College. Please stand for today's reading. Our passage today is Judges 1, 1 through 4. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So today we begin our study through the book of Judges. Grab a journal before you leave today from the lobby, if you haven't gotten one already. Also, notes were passed out when you came in this morning to help you along with our study today. So today we can begin in chapter one, and I've called this Joshua has left the building, and you'll understand that in just a moment as we work our way through this. But let me ask you a question before we begin and kind of help you to frame the book of Judges for a moment. So how many uh, in the room like museums? Let me see if you like, how many in the room like museums? Okay, good, well, that's pretty good, right? So when I, what I realized in, in going to a museum, there are two types of people that attend or visit a museum. There are the readers and the runners, okay? Now, I don't know if you understand that, right? The readers are the one that walk through a museum and they read everything and they absorb all the knowledge they can of all of the placards and all the displays or whatever. And then the readers are the one that are going through. They're looking, oh, that's nice. That's great. Wow, that's wonderful. That's good. You know, where's the coffee shop? Where's the gift shop, right? So, you know, I just want to get through this thing. So let's kind of do a little survey. How many in the room are readers when you go to a museum? Let me see your hand. How many of you just absorb all that good stuff? Wonderful. Terrific. That's me. That's what I am. How many of you are runners? Anybody are the runners? in here. Good. All right. Good. How many of you just detest a museum? Let me see your hand as well. Uh, well, some of you are kind of honest about that, right? Because you feel like, well, that makes me not as intelligent if I answer that the right way. No, it's, it's okay to be honest. And this is church, right? And, and so what I realize about you know, museums is that when I go to a museum, man, I'm, I just love to read everything. And especially with my son, Grayson, my younger son, that he's like me. So it can just absorb hours and hours of our time if we're on vacation and, and would go into one as well. So what the book of Judges is, the, bud, the book of Judges is this um, encapsulation of the history, 340 years of history of the nation of Israel. It, it is a look into a window. It's like going into a museum specifically that has been put together for this 340-year time frame of the nation of Israel. And so there are displays everywhere, if you kind of look at this with your imagination. And, and then there are placards by every display giving you great detail of what's going on in each individual display as well. That's the book of Judges. 
So what I'm going to challenge all of the runners in the room today and all the readers as well and challenging myself to become readers throughout the book of Judges, to look at all of these individual stories that are put together for us in such an amazing way by what we believe to be Samuel and to begin to record how God speaks to you in these moments as you open your heart and your mind. So here's a couple of things about the book of Judges. First is this, that Judges is a story of a nation and their quest, <clears throat> excuse me, for a king. Now you say, Mark, that's a great piece of historical you know, knowledge, but what am I to do with that and how does that affect my life? It does greatly because it really addresses the, this fluctuation that we have and who we submit to in this life. And, and isn't that our challenge in this world as Christians is that continually looking at our life and determining who we are submitting to in, in this world? Because you have this nation, the nation of Israel, who are fluctuating in and out of moving from God to idols and from idols back to God. And so you have this kind of back and forth thing going on all the time. And so what, what I realize is that when I begin to study this, what so many commentators use, they use a, a phrase to describe the book of Judges. And it's this, it's about despicable people doing deplorable things is what I found so many times in so many writings about the book of Judges. I think that's interesting, isn't it? And that, does that excite you about this study? I don't know, maybe it does in some odd and very twisted way, but it does because in the book of Judges, there are more lows than highs. You find where there is murder and there's assassination, there's massacres and immorality, there's lawlessness, there's mutilation, and there's unfaithfulness. It's about real people doing real life. And you say, Mark, my life's pretty real, but I don't do a whole lot of that kind of stuff, right? But it's very powerful when you look at this. It's also, Judges is the story of some of the Bible's most known and some of the most obscure heroes, it is. You find in the book of Judges the stories of Samuel and Gideon and Deborah, and, but you find um, some other really very interesting people like Jael and, and Barak, and you find um, uh, these, these people that maybe you have not heard a lot about, but they're amazing people that God uses, and they're very unlikely heroes. You know, and so when I look at this text, I realize that that's really part of the book of Judges is that God uses the unlikely is what he does. If you look at the book, one of the amazing and most positive things that I find in there is that God uses those that discount ourself is what he does. In fact, let me kind of borrow a text from chapter six and verse 15, and it has to do with Gideon, one of the heroes that we may know a little bit about. And it says, and he, talking about Gideon, said to God, to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So I think it's okay to have an understanding of who you are. And, and these are truths about who Gideon is. But when we divorce that understanding of who we are from who God is, that's when we have problems. And that's when we find ourselves in trouble. It's not a bad thing to have an understanding of who you are and the truth about all of those things. But when you divorce that from God, then that is a problem. So what we're going to find in our study in the book of Judges is how God uses very unlikely people. Very unlikely people in absolutely amazing and miraculous ways. He uses them to encourage you and I to submit our lives to God. And God will use us as well. And he doesn't do that. And he doesn't use them or choose them 
because they're qualified. That's not it at all. And you're going to see that. But he chooses them because he loves them. So stop discounting yourself. Stop saying that, well, I can't do this, Mark, because, well, maybe I'm not like you, as if somehow I would be the standard, which I am not in no way, or I'm not like someone else that I know. I I can't do those things. God uses the unlikely is what it teaches us. And the third thing is that God that judges is the story of God's people in the middle of a crisis of faith. A crisis of faith is something that we all are going to experience if we're going to walk this journey with God. It's going to happen to us. There's going to be those moments when we doubt God or we doubt that God has a plan. And so we find ourselves fluctuating spiritually. So I formed a question for you. Maybe you have asked this about yourself. Why do I fluctuate up and down so much spiritually? Why is it then that it seems like that I'm as a spiritual high some days and I'm as a spiritual low the next day? That is absolutely the book of Judges is what it is. It's part of our spiritual journey. We find ourselves in these moments where we fluctuate spiritually. So I used some years ago my Superman cape and I have just been biting at the bits to try to use it again. And so I wanted to bring it out this morning and I wanted to put it on before you. And uh, Reba thinks I'm amazingly handsome in this thing. She really does. So I'll be taking it home. And uh, yeah, well, whatever, you know, but uh, (laughs) embarrass myself. And so... It's just the cape that's red. It's not me, okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so what we find ourselves some days, right, we're like this Superman kind of character, and boy, we're on top of everything spiritually, and, and man, we have an answer for every spiritual question. We're trusting God. It seems like everything is falling into place. And then the next thing is, and I have to take my glasses off for this one, so I trust that you guys don't leave, but if you do, I can't see you. But the next thing I think we find ourselves as that we think we're Batman, right? And what is Batman? Batman lives in a cave and he stays in the dark, right? Exactly. So we find ourselves fluctuating between that of Superman, Batman kind of thing. And it gets exhausting, doesn't it, sometimes, how we fluctuate back and forth. That is the book of Judges. I was praying, God, give me some kind of creative way for them to just understand what the book is about. This is what you're seeing right now is, I've always wanted to do this too. Always wanted, this is the book of Judges, right? Yes, yes, this is it. That one day you're like this with God and the next day you're like Batman, you know, you're in the dark and you're depressed and you're living in a cave. That's it, that's it. Now, I have to take this off and... Did I mess up my hair? Am I okay? Now, be honest with me. You can tell me, right? Because that was my biggest fear, putting that mask on. And Reba will tell you. Reba says, ah, don't worry about it. You know, you're just vain. And I said, okay, I'll take that. And I understand that, right? Ah, let me make sure it's all good. Okay, we're good now. Terrific. So maybe you have, maybe you have asked questions like this. So I posed three questions for you. The first one is this. Um, why are there some sins that, regardless of how hard I try, I just can't get rid of? Man, I don't know if you've ever had that problem before, right? So the next question would be this one. Maybe, maybe this one hits home. 
Why can't I have the spiritual joy the person sitting next to me has? Do you ever have a friend that seems like they're just joyful all the time in the Lord? And what that makes you want to do is choke them, doesn't it? Yes. I just can't understand why they're always joyful and I am not. So maybe the third question kind of fits you a little better. Why does everyone seem to feel that God is so close they can't turn around without bumping into him? And I feel like he's a universe away. You see, what Judges is going to do for you and I, as I introduced that study, this study to you today, is it's going to speak to all those things in our lives. It really is. But here's what I want to do. I want to level the ground for a moment with this next statement. The most profound statement I'll probably make today to you, and it's this. We're all, the and is not supposed to be in there. We're all messed up in one way or another, okay? Let's own that. Now, I was going to tell you you were screwed up, but I thought, you know what? That perhaps would offend some of you saying that in church, right? So I I, I kind of... uh, Mark through that one, and I said, we're all messed up in one way or another. So you greet the person next to you. You knew this was coming, right? You knew this was coming. You know, and you said good morning. Could you turn to the person next to you and say, you're messed up? Could you say that to them for a moment? Isn't that great? Some of you are wanting to say you're screwed up, aren't you? But it's in church and you're afraid to say it. Like you're going to go to hell for saying that, right? Doesn't it? Do do you? Let me take a drink for a moment here. It's tea. Don't worry. You see how it levels the the room out? Isn't that amazing for us to speak the truth about about ourselves for a moment? And, And that's not being... Uh, you know, that's not an affront to our faith or anything like that at, at all, but, but it's a, a truth about who we are. And, and I think to realize that, that we're only, you know, holding it together sometimes or, or, you know, whether we're Superman or Batman at those moments because of God. That's it. Because of God and what God does within our lives. And so what, what Judges is, it, it's, a, it's a museum of Israel's crisis of faith is is what it is. And if I think if you take a moment to look closely at these vignettes as we work through these 12 judges as well and all the other supporting texts around them, you're gonna see your own struggles there. And what you're gonna see in this book as well, as we said together, is you're gonna see failure in faith. You're gonna see some grandiose rebellion and some greater grace for people's lives, some menace and some mercy as well as we take this book apart verse by verse over the next months together. So here's what I wanna do. I want to encourage you to journal along with us. If we call this a journey, then if you go on a trip, then you take your phone with you now, which is your camera, right? And you, you, you mark certain things on that journey through photographs that make a difference to you. It's something that spoke to you. Uh, it, it's a powerful moment in a journey with you. That's what journaling is. I think we make it more difficult than what it actually is. It's writing those things down as God speaks them to us. And what is God saying to me? Well, Mark, why do I need to write it down? This is the next most profound spiritual thing I'll say to you today because you'll forget it. Really, right? Because you're gonna forget it. 
Yes. So before you leave today, grab a journal in the lobby and take it home and begin to use it as God speaks to you. So let's get started this morning. It's Judges chapter one, verse one. And after the death of Joshua, the book of the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? So I start again with another question. Mark, you have a lot of questions. I know I'm just very inquisitive individual. Where is God? Where is God? Now, this is going to make sense in just a moment. So I give you another question. Wow. Why God did you? And you can kind of fill in the blank for that. Why God did you? Well, have this plan for my life? Or why, God, did you not save me from this situation? Or why, God, did you not provide for me in this moment? This is kind of, the where, kind of where Israel is because those first four words of that chapter one says, after the death of Joshua. So Samuel starts with that. He's the compiler of all of this, and he starts with that statement. Here is the reason why. Moses, prior to Joshua was a great leader of Israel. God had raised him up. Here, Moses is the one who brings over 1 million Hebrew slaves out of bondage in Egypt, 400 years of bondage. He walks out of Egypt with 400 uh, of of, of, the, of the nation of Israel. And he doesn't just leave with them, but most of the great treasures of Israel, Egypt as well. And he leads them for 40 years in the wilderness as God provides for them all the way up to the promised land. Moses, with all of his faults, if you look at this, he's the real deal. He is an amazing leader. So when they saw Moses, they saw an image of God is what they saw. Historically, when Moses goes on the mount and he spends time with God, that he comes off the mountain and he glows with such a power of God that Israel can't even look upon him at that moment. He is larger than life. So they, when they lost Moses, they have lost this critical link to godly leadership. But Moses has an assistant, and his assistant's name is Joshua. Joshua was 80 years old when Moses dies. Joshua takes over. What does Joshua do? He continues the mission that Moses started, and he takes them into the promised land of Canaan. Now Moses dies at 120 years old. He is succeeded by Joshua, who is 80, and then Joshua dies at the ripe age of a 110. When I read all these numbers, I feel so much younger. Don't you? Yes. Some of you feel like a baby when I read all this. Yes, absolutely. But when I look at this and I see these men and their powerful ability to lead and influence and their relationship with God, then I look at the scriptures and not only am I just reading these words, but I'm feeling what I think Israel is experiencing because the Bible is given to you and I not just to read it to catalog information, but it's given to you and I so that we feel the text when we read it. And so I feel the emotion that is going on in the nation of Israel. I do. And so it says after the death of Joshua, Well, what does that have to do with all of this? Because here is the rub in all of it. Moses appointed Joshua to follow him as leader, but Joshua does not appoint anyone to be his successor. He doesn't. So all of a sudden you have all of these years of this powerful godly leadership. Yes, they're flawed men with no doubt, 
but they're men that are amazingly connected to God. You have all these years of leadership and then Joshua dies and there's nobody in the waiting room to take over Joshua's leadership position for Israel. So God, what is the plan? Can you see their crisis of faith for a moment? What is your plan, God? God, did you not see this coming? Come on, Lord. He's 110 years old. He's going to croak at some point. God, did you not see it? Or God, are you so weary dealing with us as the Israelites that you just stepped away from us? Or God, do you even care? But I want to look at this and say to you that could this, could this be an opportunity for Israel? Could this be an amazing opportunity for Israel, even though they don't have necessarily a sitting leader? A critical moment for their existence, for them to learn to trust in God more intensely than they ever have before. Because This life. So how do they respond? How would you respond? Oh, I would love to say that Israel responds by pressing into God, praying to God, loving God, following God totally and exclusively, and everything works out great. But here is a little spoiler alert. I will read the very last verse of the very last chapter, chapter 21. And it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, is what the scripture says. During this period of 340 years, there's no standing office of national leadership. So it is a moment. It's a moment for Israel to lead into God greater than they ever had before. They don't have Joshua to lean into. They don't have Moses to lean into. So they only can lean into God. And when I say that only God, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? But we live that way at times. We live and we conduct our lives just exactly like that. And so it's 340 years that there is is no leader other than the judges that God will provide and raise up throughout the book of Judges for us to study. Yes. And so Israel is living in this promised land of Canaan. They are. But in the passing of Moses and Joshua. Let me just give you this background for a moment. That not all the work has been done in the promised land. They still find themselves surrounded by idol worshiping nations. So there's, there's, they're God's people living intermingled with other unbelieving nations. And other believing, unbelieving people. So it brought me to this thought, this question. And I think it's something that we can ask ourselves. Do I follow God or do I follow the spirit and the, and the preferences of the age? Wow. That's something for us to think about, isn't it? Am I following God in the world that I'm living in? Or am I following the spirit and the preferences of the age of the world that is around me? And that's the big struggle of faith for Israel during these 340 years. And how many times have you and I, whether we have said it or we have just lived it out by our actions, 
we've done the right thing or what we thought was the right thing within our own eyes. And we find ourselves turning from knowing and loving and from that love that we have from God obeying him. It's what we call theologically spiritual pluralism. You see, here's the thing about here's the thing about Israel. And I think it helps us to really relate to where they are. Israel doesn't deny God. That's not what they're doing at all. They don't deny God, but they trust in other gods. Wow. That is that is tough. That's something to think about for you and I. How does that happen in our lives? How does that happen that we're not over here denying God or God's existence, but we're trusting in other idols in our life? Well, I think it comes down to two words, and it comes down that, to that of doubt and disbelief. That is exactly what we talk about next week in part two of the book of Judges, that of doubt and disbelief. And we doubt or disbelieve that God has this in our life. We do, or if God is enough, that I, that I, may, I may not have this physical evidence of Moses and Joshua anymore, but I have to ask myself the question, is God enough in my life? And many times we say to God, God, I'm not denying your existence. I'm not, but I'm going to do what is right in my eyes, God, because I really don't think you have a plan here. Wow. Man, I would love to ask you to to raise your hands this morning like you did about the museum piece today and say, how many have ever had that thought with God and ever acted on that like Israel did? And I think many of us could probably raise our hands and say, yes, I've done that with God before. It's the pluralism of our spirituality is what it is. You see, Israel has no king. They have no president. They have no prime minister. They only have God. They only have God. Yet when when things arise in the nation when they're about to be attacked or when they need to go to war, then God will always raise up somebody in the middle of Israel who is really an unlikely individual and he will use them. And those are called the judges throughout the book of Judges. And so it's so powerful, but it's not a judge that presides over a trial. In fact, the Hebrew word Shaphat that is used there to describe those judges comes from the Hebrew word that means heroic leader or one who comes to set things right. Wow. Let me say this to you for a moment. Even in the middle of the plurality of our spirituality, even in those moments when we say to God, God, I I understand who you are, but I'm going to choose my own plan in my own way, and I'm going to do what's right in my eyes, God, then even in those moments, what I realize is that God doesn't forget us. God did not forget Israel. Understand that. He was with them. He never left them. He proved that by raising up judges in the middle of their rebellion against him to bring them out of oppression of their enemy. It's so powerful to see the grace and the mercy and the power of God. And I want to say to you today, God has not forgotten you. Realize that even if you're sitting here today and you are saying, oh, I believe in God, but I'm trusting in other things in this world and in my life, then I want you to say, God has not given up on you. God will never give up on you. As the song that we close our worship today with is saying to you and I that he is not done with you yet. He's not. He's working in your life and my life. 
And the beauty of you and I living in this era of the New Testament is this, that God has not sent another Moses, and he's not sent another Joshua, but the Father has sent his son Jesus for you and I as that heroic leader in our life, and he makes all things right. But in the book of Judges, God purposely places his people in a situation that requires them to maintain a real and abiding trust in God I want you to understand God loves you enough. God loves you enough as the good father to even allow for there to be trials in your life at times so that he will refine your trust and who you trust in. Realize that. But what do we do in a moment of crisis? We see what Israel does in a moment of spiritual crisis and, and that is they run to other gods and other idols. What do you and I do when there's this moment of crisis within our lives spiritually? And so many times we don't run to God. We run to other things other than God. And those things in the life of Israel were called idols. Do you know what they're called in our life as well? Idols. Wow. Mark, this is my first Sunday here. I thought I liked it so far. You guys serve donuts. This is really great. You know, I'm coming back. But now you're up here and it is 1204. We're about to go home and you have called us idolaters. Now I'm saying to you, listen to me. Anything that you place before God is an idol in your life. And that can be a relationship with someone else. That can be hate and anger in your life and unforgiveness. Because when you... When you have a spiritual crisis within your life, what do you always do? You run back to those things. You fall back into those areas of your life. And you trust in them. Instead of trusting in God totally and completely. Wow. Somebody said after first service to me, said, man, we're excited about the book of Judges, but this is going to be a long, hard journey. Well, I don't want you to look at it like it's a long, hard journey. I don't. I want you to look at it like it's a journey that is going to bring amazing encouragement to you. Because here, Joshua has left. He's left the building. I took that from the old saying of, you know, Elvis has left the building. Joshua has left the building. Where does this leave them? This is a crisis of faith. God loves Israel too much. And God loves you and I too much to not challenge those moments of trust in our life. So here's the pattern of the book of Judges. Let me share this with you for a moment. It helps you to understand this book as we begin our study together. That, so it begins with Israel's ultimate trust shifts from God. It does. It's their plural spirituality. They're not denying God, but yet they're trusting in other gods as well. Then it goes to this. Well, God allows a foreign power to oppress them. God loves them enough. I say this to you again. God loves you enough. God loves you enough to challenge the areas in your life where you're trusting in something other than him. The third is this. The people call on God for his deliverance. That at some point, God gets their attention as he does ours, and they call on God. The fourth is this. That God raises up a deliverer, a judge, a, a hero in the middle of them. Those unlikely ones like Gideon or Samson as well. And then number five, Israel repents. Repents. Wow, that's amazing. It's wonderful. End of story. No, there's one more. Number six, the cycle repeats. 
The cycle repeats. You thought we were going to get off of this wonderful, like, like, this is a Disney story, right? No, this is not a Disney story. This is not at all. Absolutely. The cycle, for 340 years, the cycle repeats. Wow. Try to tell me God is not patient. God is amazingly patient and gracious. This is a sign of that. The cycle repeats over and over and over, and that is the book of Judges. Back to chapter 1, verse 1. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? When in doubt, do the right thing. And here's where we tie it all together this morning before we pray. When in doubt, do the right thing. Oh, so Mark, what's the right thing? It's wonderful to say that, you know. I've heard that phrase before. What does Israel do? They inquire of the Lord. They come to God. They press into God. Wow, this is really great. They start out by doing the right thing. It's what Moses and Joshua had taught them to do. But what you're going to see in the progression of these 340 years is the longer they move away from Moses and Joshua, they forget about Moses and Joshua's teachings to them. And so they're not as quick to press into God to inquire of the Lord. I think that happens in our spiritual lives as well. Sometimes when you first come to God, man, you're on fire for the Lord and everything is about God and you're leaning into God. You're trusting God for everything. But as you, as you journey through your spiritual relationship with Christ, you tend to find these moments where you forget. And that's where they are. And so here they're not running from their faith. They're running to their faith. And you say, this is a win. This is amazing for them. Look at verse two. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and the Lord gave him the Canaanites and the Pizzarites and he defeated 10,000 of them at Bezik. It's a win. Wow. Wonderful. Mark, you had us all kind of hyped up about this going to be this, this deplorable story about people and doing despicable things and all of that. And well, can I tell you, before you get out the party hats, before you celebrate Israel for a moment, let me share with you the reality of what has just happened because they haven't done what God has told them to do because God told Judah that I've given the land into his hands. All the land is what God was saying to him to clean out all the idol worshipers, to get rid of all the Canaanites. And you say, but Mark, that's such a terrible thing for God to do. We'll talk about that in another week or so about that as well. But the Canaanites are not who you think they are as, as well. And so they were told to eradicate the land of all of the idol worshipers. But that is not what they do. Because this afternoon as you go home and you maybe read the rest of chapter 1, and you get down to verses 28 through 36, the very end of the first chapter, what you realize is they only cleared out certain areas and they allowed the idol-worshiping nations to remain among them. It was never God's idea. Let me tell you something this morning. And I... I learned this myself the hard way. 
that partial obedience with God is actually full-blown disobedience to God. Hear that. That partial obedience with God is actually full-blown disobedience to God. So it brought me to another question. And the question is this last one. What idols have you adjusted to living with? What idols have you adjusted to living with in your life? You see, here's here's Israel. They never actually fully reject God, but they never actually fully accept him either. It's the plurality of their relationship with God. They wanted God, but they only wanted God on their own terms. You see, when I take that and I... I lay that over your life and my life, what I realize that God wants, let's use the word demands, it's okay. God wants or demands lordship over all areas of our lives. All lands, all territories. You see, it's never been God's plan for you and I from from the very moment of creation to just believe in him and then place our ultimate trust in something or someone else. That was never God's plan for our life. Never. Not one moment. So it comes back to the question. What idols have you adjusted to living with? Let me point something out that may not be as obvious yet. The Israelites disobey God right from the beginning of this book. They think they can live peacefully with idol worshipers and that idol worship doesn't creep into their lives. A huge lie of the enemy And it never works that way. Because when there's a crisis of faith in your life, many times you're not going to run to your faith, but you're going to run to something else because you think that God has failed you, God is not able, or somehow God doesn't care. And you trust in something else. So what idol have you adjusted to living with? Mark, can you be more specific? Sure, you ask, I can. Fear? Sure. You fall back into that every time you don't understand God's ways. Anger? As well. There are some of you in this room that deal with high levels of anger. And when your day doesn't go well, when things don't go right, or when you feel like that God is not doing his job, that's where you fall back to. And that's really where you trust. Unforgiveness, hatred, greed. Maybe you get the idea. 
lust, your sexual desires. A relationship that you're in, but you know spiritually it's, it's not edifying for you, but you continually fall back into that time after time after time because that's where your trust lies. Your own abilities. Because you think that you can fix everything. So God, move out of the way. Let me take over. That's an idol for you. And you find yourself going through life many times without even knowing it and adjusting to these things over and over and over until they become absolutely unmanageable and they manage you. That's a trick of the enemy. Because that's what happens to Israel. As a follower of Christ, you cannot coexist with idols. But here's the beautiful part of the book of Judges. And we pray. For 340 years, that's what Israel does. I read the last verse of the last chapter. So you know how it ends. Sorry. Spoiler alert, but that was it. But here's one beautiful thing. God never leaves them. God never forsakes them. God never gives up on them. Because God always sends a hero for them. God will do the same for you. Even in the middle of sin, even in the middle of an idol in your life, in the middle of your crisis of faith, the Father sent the Son for you and for me. He's always with us. He will never, ever let you go. So for a moment, could you pray with me today? Take a posture of prayer, however that looks for you. But most importantly, to open your heart and your mind to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you this morning. So Father, here we are as your children. Broken, messed up, but greatly loved by you. Forgiven, redeemed. In the middle of the dirt road of sanctification in our lives today. So God, you know us. You know our resume. You know who we are. Yet you choose to love us. And in the the fluctuation of our spirituality, you don't abandon us. God, even in those moments of sin, in those moments, Lord, where we fall back on idols because we think you don't have a plan. God, you didn't see something coming that happened in our lives. You don't leave us. But you love us enough to challenge us in those areas of our life. So Father, challenge us this morning. Lord, challenge me In the areas, God, that I may trust something above trusting you, challenge me today, Father. Let it begin here. 
Because God, in this amazing book, we can all find ourselves. And in this life of the in-between, we can find ourselves so easily in this crisis of faith. So God, let this be the day that we say no more idols to push that to the side, God. Let this be the day that we commit to change in our life by submitting ourselves, all of our lands and all of our territories, God, doing what you have called us to do because you love us so much that you refuse to share us with anything or anyone. That you are number one preeminent. So, Father, challenge us in our hearts and our lives by your Holy Spirit. Father, we give you thanks in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning? During the song today, feel free to come forward and pray if you would like. If this is a moment that you have to say, here is the idol. Here it is. The idol's sitting next to you. Don't drag them down here, okay? But right, that's just not going to really work well. But you know, you know what they are in your life. And just lay them there. Say, God, I'll lay it here. I give it to you. I surrender all to you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.